everyone here should be... <laughs> no, actually, not everyone here should be aware because it's a Pixar podcast. On the Snub Club, I could say this. But uh, it is the July Criterion sale. Everything is 50% off at Criterion. And I... At Barnes & Noble, Criterion thinks. And let me tell you, I bought some Blu-rays. And I'm, I haven't told Mark... I told Mark one of them. So I'm going to show Mark the other ones I got. So the four criterions. Oh, it's I got. a picture of them. So I have to like, kind of, of zoom course. in and figure this out. They're pretty. How do I zoom in? Ah, oh, man. Okay. Well, I see you bought the kid, the Silence of the Lambs, the Jackie Chan. I assume that's the Police Story collection. That's the police Story collection. Yeah. And then one, I have no idea what that is because it's there's a, a giant lens flare. <laughs> I noticed that too. It's Love and Basketball. Uh, have you oh, ever seen cool. Love and Basketball? It's great. Um, I have not. Have you seen? I've never. Yeah, I saw it. Um, AMC started showing some black directed classics on Juneteenth weekend. Uh, and usually it's like, you know, like this past year was Juice and the Black Messiah, which isn't a classic yet, but it's like, I already saw that. But they showed Love and Basketball, which I hadn't seen. And I went to go see it. It's great. It's a wonderful rom com. It's very sweet. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I got a criterion, I wanted to pick that up for a while. I really like the kid. And Silence of the Lambs on Blu-ray is so hard to find. I was in shock. I was at this Barnes and Noble. Um, How do you mean it's hard to find? Like, isn't there a, the cr- like hasn't the criteri- doesn't Criterion just have that? No, Criterion. Okay, I think they must have just reprinted it because I literally have never seen it at a Barnes and Noble before this time. Because I always look, you know, and then it's always sold out online because it's obviously like a popular title Criterion has. And as far as I'm aware, they haven't reprinted since 2018. So, like, they need to, like, do a reprint if they want it to actually sell. And this was the only one that was left there. So I was like, oh, definitely picking this one up. And then Police Story is my blind buy. I always blind buy something at a Criterion sale. Um, I was actually a little surprised they had Police Story because usually I think, you know, I'll recognize if they have a director collection or, like, Godzilla. But I thought, I think Police Story, that's, like, an older compilation well, isn't it's it it's just a duology it's just one and two it's not the ones after that only one and two are restored oh. recently um but also that means it's 25 bucks instead of 20 bucks which is fine last so i bought the before trilogy so who cares 25 but is nothing for uh like for one and two yeah. such a good deal yeah well the before trilogy it was like 50 because it's like 100 normally but like mm. that also is worth it in my opinion because it's such a good collection yeah. Uh, but what I also wanted to say is when I was at the Barnes & Noble, I went shopping for my younger brother for his birthday, and I got him something on vinyl. But I have to – please have the text channel, but I want your live reactions. I was shocked to see they had this particular vinyl album there. Are you ready for it? I am ready for it. Uh, Vinyl? <laughs> you mean like the Martin Scorsese thing? The HBO show that was canceled after one season. <laughs> They have ah. the soundtrack at Barnes & Noble spell. <laughs> Do you have any idea how long they've probably been trying to sell that? <laughs> no, but I mean, I assumed that that show was like a lot of like rock stuff and not a lot of original things, so it actually might sell pretty well. I just saw that it was there. I also had Tick, Tick, Boom. I just thought it was funny that a vinyl of vinyl. Before we move on to our games, we haven't, you, you haven't told me anything about your life. Um, well, in real life right now, my show is about to open, so when this comes out, it'll be over and done with, and it was a giant success. Um, 
other things going on in my life um, because I'm just now getting over COVID. Um, and I, I didn't really do much when I had COVID. But on the last day of me, like, really feeling the COVID, I um, I was like, man, I haven't really, like, done anything as a sick person. So I booted up the old... I don't know who's going to find this interesting, but I thought it was interesting. Is So I play Magic the Gathering online, and I hadn't played in a while because I've been doing stuff. So I was at the bottom of the, like, tier list if you play competitively. Um, so it was, it was, like, interesting to, you know, you, you play at a certain level, and I'm not, like, the world's greatest player, but, like, you play at a certain level for a while, and then you take a break, and then you come back, and they've, like, demoted you, so then you're, you're playing people, and it's, like, such a different game. It's, like, normally you can really read what your opponent is going to do, and then if you're, like... At a lower level, it's not even like people make misplays, but it really is like you... Online, there isn't money, so you're using like a reward point system. But like if you're at a low rank, you do not have the points to like get good cards. So it's really interesting. Like the games are mad slow and frustrating and unpredictable, but it is interesting to see people who are lower ranked like just play with what cards they have available and and do the best with what they they can. I think it's really interesting because like like if you're more of a not a full-time player but a pro player, there are different formats you can play in where like, oh, we'll play with only like crappy cards or we'll only play with good cards or you you like create all these rules for yourself. But I think it's really interesting to see actually poor or inexperienced players just doing whatever they can it's it reminds me more of like when i was younger and you just don't know anything so you're just playing these you're playing any strategy games with people but you're like young and inexperienced so you don't know anything and the game is just like it's very it's very different um but so that was interesting it was just nice to like be in a different headspace can i have you ever played the pokemon card game growing up we played the pokemon card game but me and my brothers had a strong belief that the energy cards were stupid, so we just played that they had unlimited attacks on everyone. <laughs> See, that's the thing, is if you play, like, I totally get that. And you know what I think that is, is because Pokemon is actually designed to be more like magic, so it has that resource system. And I think that was a giant turnoff, because it's not like Yu-Gi-Oh!, which card-wise is very kid friendly but like pokemon it has another layer of like resource management um once you once you get that like the way the game is designed is actually not a bad representation of how the video game works but yeah card the card game has like a learning curve of you have to like understand how they kind of undo everything you know about pokemon and then you have to like learn the new resource system I do not Go. know how to play Pokemon Go because it was uh, too much of a time investment. So uh, I never got, Poke in, got Pokemon to Go caused the one time I've ever sworn at work in front of children. It's back at my oh, old no. job. What? Explain. It's back at my old job. It was the summer Pokemon Go is a thing. And I live in the Midwest. So the only things I ever get are Zubats, 
sand shrews or whatever you call them. I don't, I don't know, you know, <laughs> the Pokemans. Uh, and they're all like small Pokemans, you know? And so our boss randomly goes, oh, you're taking the kids for walks and you're letting them play Pokemon Go with you? That's fun. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like, sure. Let me play Pokemon Go with the kids. That's fun. And when we were at a lake, I saw a Tauros. This was the first big Pokemon I saw. So when I see it on my phone, I go, holy shit, a Tauros. <laughs> and they're like, because <laughs> at that job, I uh, went by Hawkeye. They didn't know my real name. So at that job, they were like, Hawkeye, you just swore. And I was like, no, I, I legit didn't think I swore. I legit was like, no, I didn't. What are you talking about? I must have just said like, oh my gosh, you know, like, what are you talking about? And then the other counselor with Iceman says to me, no, Danny, you just swore. No, no, Hawkeye, you just swore. And I was like, well, kids, even adults mess up sometimes. <laughs> Why did you have code names at your old job? I don't know. It was dumb. I don't really want to. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure my old job will come up at some point on this podcast again. Uh, it was dumb, okay. though. I, that's fine. I don't really want to chase that right now. I'm sure it will come up. What's funny is I never asked Iceman if he named his character off the X-Men character or off Top Gun. Or just off of ice. Anyway, you ready for game? Game time. Letterboxd, the social media movie site, has something at the bottom of the page of most films. Not new films, but like older films. Where it says what algorithmically your film is most related to. The Letterboxd game is where I list the first five films and give them the mark of a movie I watched in the past week. Or... Since we recorded last, or really just a film I watched recently, let's be real. If he gets it wrong once, he has to guess again. If he gets it wrong twice, I'll give him the year it's from. Gets it wrong three times, I'll give him another movie, and I'll keep giving him another movie until he goes, eh, I give up. I always have ten films that I've watched recently on my list to talk about. And he picks a number one through ten, and we do three rounds. So, Mark, pick a number. Oh, important rule that Mark always forgets when he guess, which I'll remind also the listeners, is that I've removed... If this is a franchise film, any film from the franchise is removed from the five films. And if it's by the same director, it's removed by the fi- it's removed from the five films. So, pick a number, one through ten. One. Your five films are A Star is Born 2018, Once, Begin Again, La La Land, Dream Girls. Tick tick boom. Good guess. Fair guess. That is not, though, in the top 20. I think from now I'm going to say that if your guess is in the top 20 or not. Hmm, I was going to th- say the one, I mean, that makes me think of the other Irish movie, which it's obviously not because that had the same director as once. So, mm-hmm. um, I love contemporary movie musicals. They're in English. Les Mis? Les Mis is in the top 20, but it's not that. All right, the year this came out is 2013. 2013. Oh, man, and it can't be Cats. I mean, yes, Cats came out in 2019. You're correct. It cannot be Cats. <laughs> well, I'm just doing the thing where I'm like, all right, within my limited say, criteria, here's me going through every musical I can think of. Amusingly, and this I, I won't count this as a hint, but Cats is in the top 20. I think that's pretty funny. I don't know why. There are a couple of movies in this hmm. top 20 that I'm very confused by. Although I guess hmm. a couple of the weirder ones make sense. Cats goes along with the musical 
venture already on. So I don't think that helps you at all. So. Yes. 2013. Um, Mamma Mia? Not Mamma Mia. The next film you get, it's a film I've never heard of, called A Mighty Wind, 2003. I have heard hopefully of that. This isn't my, a, hopefully this isn't my same director. That's <laughs> a Christopher not, okay. Guest movie. Okay, I did not want... This is not a Christopher Guest movie, so you're okay. 2013. Man. The Great Gatsby? No, that is... You are finally in the right year. 2013 is Great Gatsby, but it's not The Great Gatsby. The next film you get is wow. Walk the Line. So to recap for the listeners at home, the seven films are A Star is Born 2018, Once, Begin Again, La La Land, Dreamgirls, A Mighty Wind, Walk the Line. Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story? Nope. Do you want another film, or do you want to give up? I'll give up. Alright, so, I want to point out that you forgot one connection of all these musicals. You just said it's a new musical. These are all musicals about musicians struggling to succeed. I watched Inside Lulu Davis. I know, but I couldn't think of any of them. Inside Lulu Davis. Oh, well, that's not a musical. It has music in it. Are you the type of person who doesn't thinks Oh Brother, Where Art That was in a musical? Yes. Yeah, I think it is. I think Oh Brother, Where Art That was in a musical. Oh Brother, Where Art That was definitely not a musical. Okay, so if Inside Lulu Davis is... Okay. Hold up, hold up. So, you're saying Inside Lulu Davis is a musical. Okay, that's fine. But if Inside Lulu Davis is a musical, how is A Star is Born 2018 a musical? How is Once the Movie a musical? How is Begin Again a musical? None of those are musicals. Neither Sing Street, and which is not on this list, weirdly. Well, I think, I mean, I, I'd say Once is definitely a musical. Um, to be sure, I haven't seen Once. I'm just going off the other John Carney movies I've seen. I know... A Star is Born is just as much musical as Inside Loon Davis is. I mean, I think the best the best argument you have is, you know, why isn't Walk the Line and Llewellyn Davis, like, why why wouldn't I consider Walk the Line, well, why or, like, why would I consider Walk the Line a musical? I think that's a gray area. I definitely think Llewellyn Davis is not a musical, and I definitely think Oh Brother, Where Art There is not a musical. Like, just be... Like it's. Do we want me to? Do you want out of curiosity? Do you want me to check what uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou are just out of curiosity? Yeah. All right. Just so you know, the the two that I thought that were weird that actually might have helped you a bit on this are Life Aquatic and Magnolia, which are down a bit more. But I think those that, kind of that like would help. Ha- I think those two kind of like get you the personality of Lulu and Davis. I like Inside Lulu and Davis. It's great. All right, all right. I'm so not you're saying fair. I didn't you're like fair. it. I just I'm don't lo- think it's a musical. I'm looking at Obrover or Arthur. And if we did Obrover or Arthur during this podcast, the five you would have got would have been Grand Budapest Hotel, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, Eurovision uh, Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. I'd look at the whole title. Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, Sullivan's Travels, and Bill and Ted Face the Music. Those are the Obrover or Arthur one. With yeah. Raising Arizona, Lady Killers, and Inside Loon Davis removed. Yeah, I think Letterboxd agrees with me that Oh Brother Where Art Thou is Where Art Thou is not a musical. Okay, well, Inside Loon Davis is here, so deal with it. Give me an number number. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, it's here. There's well, nothing I, mean, I can do about inter- it. <laughs> it's an interesting discussion. I just think that, like, there's... 
there is a spectrum, right? And what is it about O Brother Where Art Thou that makes me think it's not a musical, even though there are definitely characters who sing I think sing O Brother Where Art Thou is more a musical than Inside Llewyn Davis, because at least O Brother Where... Like, Inside Llewyn Davis, the music almost consistently has the same mood, with the exception of, please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh-oh! Great Adam Driver. <laughs> Early Adam Driver role, by the way, is Inside Llewyn Davis. Also, but I, don't think it's just I feel about like it's mood, still my favorite Oscar Isaac performance. Still. All these years later. Mm -hmm. Well, it is, like, it's more a vehicle for him than a lot of things have been. Yeah. Well, whatever, eight. Eight? All right. What? Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. All right. Your five films are Napoleon Dynamite, Rushmore, Garden State, The Breakup, The Royal Tenenbaums. Wow, so all of these movies have the same font for their title, I imagine. <laughs> so I have Probably. to think of something. I just, I see them in my head, except for maybe the breakup. Um, I will whew. say, after I give you the seven films, I will give you, on this one, I might give you some additional hints that have nothing to do with the films here, because I think you might need that push, but I still want you to guess the normal way there. Yeah. Um, is it Waking Life? No. Easy A? Never seen Easy A. To be also, Easy A and Wake Life Easy are A. not in the top 20. What? It's not in the top 20? Yeah, neither is Wake... Not, neither of them are. Your next mm. film you, you get is... Oh, wait, sorry, you don't get the next film. You get the year. 2007 is the year. 2007. So, pre-Iron Man. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. Assume okay. it's 2007. Assume it's 2007, or it actually is. Letterbox. Just, I just have to think of where I was in my life. 2007. You know, that's that's kind of the weird year because if it's pre-Iron Man, then I was not watching a lot of adult films, except for uh, Revenge of the Sith. So I was not super aware of things like. I don't um, think. I don't think. Napoleon Dynamite. I don't think that you're on the right thought line. I don't think you would have watched this movie in 2007, even if you were watching adult films. Or, you know, films for adults. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, potentially. I don't know. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Knocked up? Nope. Your next film you get is Punch Drunk Love. Um, forgetting Sarah Marshall? No, and that's also one that's weirdly not in this um, top 20. All right, your it last film you get... Those font the titles. last film you get as a hint is 500 Days of Summer. So to recap for the listeners at home, your seven films, if you want to play... If you're playing along with Mark, are Napoleon Dynamite, Rushmore, Garden State, The Breakup, The Royal Tenenbaums, Punch Drunk Love, and 500 Days of Summer. Scott Pilgrim? Nope. Alright, so I did say I was going to give you some hints before we just give up on this one. Okay. This is one, more than ever, you'll be helped out by knowing what I'm watching. Like, knowing like the, my patterns of watching movies. I don't think you'll get this one unless you know what I do. On how I choose the movies I watch. Okay. Does that help you at all? This um, is also a movie I'm willing to bet... It'd be very rare you met someone who had heard of this movie in 2007. It has retroactively become known. And it's not necessarily popular, 
uh, safety. Well, no, it's not that. Is that the one thing that Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig made? No, that's the Skeleton Twins. It's not that. Mm. Do you give up? Yeah, I give up. So, for my other podcast, Why is Vitae and Dan, we did an episode about the films of Taika Waititi. And since I watched most of them, I decided to wrap up the filmography with Eagle vs. Shark. Oh, okay. Yeah, I definitely would not have got that. I did not even know that thing was, like, known in the world. But there you go. I mean, I'm kind of surprised it has an algorithm for it. So, yeah, I understand that. All right. Mm -hmm. Last number. Six. Five films are... Inception, Vanilla Sky, Mulholland Drive, Donnie Darko, The Science of Sleep. Hmm. I was, well, that really harms what I thought I was going to guess. Um, is it, uh, is it Synecdoche, New York? No, it's not Synecdoche, New York. That is in the top 20. Is it... Being John Malkovich? Nope. Your next film is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Hmm. Oh, shoot. Well, you'll take that hint for now. The next time I'll give you the year. I always forget. I gave you that. I'll give you the year next time. Sorry about that. <laughs> please, please give me the year because I'm I'm thinking well, of ending forget things. Forget I'm thinking not- of anything. Forget I'm thinking of anything. Forget I said that. Okay. Uh, 2001. Yes, but uh, adaptation? But it's not adaptation. No. All right, so your hint yeah. is I'm thinking of anything. Cause that, that's, I actually give it to you early. So you don't get another hint yet. So Yeah, I know. I'm already on, I'm already on that kick. You know I'm on that train. Um, it will be really embarrassing if you get this wrong one wrong, I'll just say. 2001? And it's, and it's something like... It's some... some Charlie Kaufman adjacent thing. Uh, I mean, I listed not Inception not and Mulholland Drive. Are those really, uh, are those really Charlie Kaufman adjacent? <laughs> well, like everything else was Charlie Kaufman adjacent. Magnolia? Nope. So your last film is The Fountain. So to review for the listeners at home, the seven films you have to pick from of 2001 movie is Inception, Vanilla Sky, which might have pointed out Vanilla Sky is also from 2001, uh, Mulholland Drive, which is also from 2001, Donnie Darko, mm-hmm. another 2001 movie. So I'm, these hints narrow it down a lot. <laughs> the Science of Sleep, I'm Thinking of Many Things, and The Fountain. I'm, Dang, I'm three telling films you, man, from the same year. Pre- <laughs> This is why pre-Iron Man matters to me, because pre-Iron Man, I really do not know when things came out. Unless they came out, like, 1980s or earlier, then I'm actually much better. Um, uh, Again, Attack of the be Clones. Real, is that really your final guess, is Attack of the Clones? No, but I can't think of anything. Okay, it's not Attack of the Clones. Do you want me to just tell you? Yeah, just tell me. First off, Attack of the Clones came out in 2002. <laughs> fake Star Wars fan. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> second of all, the reason it's embarrassing you didn't guess this is because you oh, guessed, is, I was you guessed guess this as your first guess on another film we did this time. It's Waking Life. Oh. <laughs> well, whatever. My my <laughs> next guess... 
my I wanted my next clue to be like, did it? Do I like this movie? And I don't like Waking Life, so there. I don't know. I don't know. Scanner if you Darkly like is a much better movie. I haven't seen it. Mm. Sorry, sorry, disappoint. My game is the game of lists. In the game of lists, I choose some list of movies on the internet, and I give Danny two movies off the list, and then he tries to guess which one is ranked higher. So all of these have to be ranked lists. I determined that especially this week because I really wanted to give you the Vatican's list of films, but they don't rank them, so it wouldn't so have worked for our game. It'd just be alphabetical. Like, yeah. Oh, this, this, uh, I think that one's alphabetically first, so I'll go Well, that. it wasn't even like they categorized them, but it wouldn't have even been interesting to be like, what category do you think The Godfather was in? Arts or spirituality? You know? Or yeah, like moral a- values, whatever. So this time, what I did was, it's not exactly a list, but it is compiled like one where I found it. Um, We're going to do what Rotten Tomatoes thinks of Hayao Miyazaki films. Go ahead, go ahead, get ready. What is is that? What is is that? You you gave such a, what what kind of response was that? Uh, I was hoping it wasn't Rotten Tomatoes, because remember, I have a very good... It's okay, it's okay. Just remember for the next episode, don't bring a Rotten Tomatoes one to me. I don't want to know about Rotten Tomatoes. I have such a good knowledge of Rotten Tomatoes, it's not as hard. Okay. I watched Goodfellas recently, uh, which is a hint for the future, because the Goodfellas might be a movie I give you. (laughs) Oh, okay. I thought you already watched Goodfellas recently. I watched it again on 35mm. So it was available to me, so I went to go see it in the theater. I just didn't think you'd watch it again, like, next week, and it would be part of your 10 or whatever mm, last time i watched godfellas goodfellas was like before yesterday it was like two years ago anyway go on yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> so first two movies are Ponyo and porco rosso porco rosso i think since it's older it's going to be a better reviewed film correct 95 versus 91 because i know Ponyo right. came Ponyo comes out after rotten tomatoes becomes a thing you know what I mean? It's going to be harder if, you know, but go on. Yes. Go on. Remember, right. I have this knowledge. Well, maybe, maybe I'm, this, I'm a genius. <laughs> maybe maybe this one will will mix it up, okay? Howl's Moving Castle and The Secret World of Arietti. Okay. So, first off, is this listed on Rod Spinoza's as Hayao Miyazaki films or Studio Ghibli films? All right. So, it's a little funky because it was pro- <laughs> he had also lists things he produced on... Okay. I you have to you have to choose anyway because I say so. I have a feeling, and I'm I like giving my justification for these is that although both of these came out post Rotten Tomatoes, I remember Howl's Moving Castle, the general reaction when it first came out, being mixed-ish. It's still positive, but it's like this is not Spirited Away, right? It was just after Spirited Away. Whereas Secret World of Ariadne, since it's not a Miyazaki directed film, had less expectation for it, and as such probably has a higher grade even though most people would agree how moving castles better so i'm gonna go uh, ariadne that's crazy how you like figure that out because you're right ariadne was <laughs> 95 howl's moving castle was 87 i knew um, how it was in the 80 and i was like i think ariadne is low 90s oh did you say 95 though yeah oh that's higher than i thought though i thought it was gonna be like 92 so big difference yeah. in the three because oh, well, 92 think- is a low 90 and 95 is mid 90 <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you probably wouldn't be surprised by this, but this is something that uh, I noticed when I was, like, putting this together. A lot of Isao Takahata films that Miyazaki produced are on there, and they're all, like, 100% or close to there. 
and maybe it's because like lower expectations or like less people saw them so that's why the numbers got pushed higher so Probably. all right third one is dumb and you're going to get it but here it is uh spirited away and my neighbor totoro actually this is pretty tough i feel like but i will go as always with my rotten tomatoes thing my gut always says go older because the older film is going to have less negative reaction Rotten Tomatoes launched around 1999-2000, which is still pre-spirited away, so I'll go with uh, Tortora. Wow, the first miss. Spirited <laughs> away was 97, and Totoro was 94. 94 for Totoro? That's so low. I've never actually seen Totoro. Yeah. It's an embarrassment that I haven't seen it. You should. I've seen Spirited it's, Away. That's probably one of my favorites. The I cool ask thing you to do... It's not a... Sorry, go on. Go on. Sorry. Well, it's kind of a tangent, so say your thing. Oh, well, I was going to say, if you're in L.A., or anyone ever goes to L.A., uh, I think it closes in September. The Academy Museum has this awesome Miyazaki exhibit where you aren't allowed to take photos um, because they have oh. a bunch of cells and storyboards, like, from Japan. That's They're like, you can have these as long as no one photographs them. And it's so cool to look at everything there. Is it like looking at paintings? Yeah, really, it kind of is, and it's like, actually, one of my favorite things I saw at the Academy Museum, which you can't take pictures of, is they have the, they, the Studio Ghibli stuff was actually cooler, because I feel like the Studio Ghibli stuff is more like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you have this, whereas what I'm about to say is like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, they have the opening, they have the actual storyboards of the opening sequence of Up, that you can just read the entire storyboard there, and it's just like, it hits you like a brick even just looking at the storyboards. It's like... Mm. I thought the animation part was really cool because I also have like they have like Fantastic Mr. Fox there, they have Coraline, they have like you know like the actual ones, and they have a bunch of cool cells. I don't know, it's neat. When did you well, see that? Was that when you went to L.A. for the one for Turning like, Red? For Turning Red. Oh, that's right. Okay. This past March. Very cool. I don't think it was open. I think it opened last October-ish, so it wasn't open when I went to see Luca. So, mm-hmm. but it was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Interesting. All right. Let's talk All about right. knickknack. We've been talking talk for a about while knick-knack. about other stuff. <laughs> so I don't think we have enough of knickknack to talk. I don't think we're going to match what we talked about up to this point with knickknack, but that's okay. That's right. We've been recording for 46 minutes. It doesn't feel like that, though, which is nice. That's what you said. No, I'm, I'm sure most of this was me talking about Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So knickknack. So knickknack. Where it's, do we uh, start That's on the one week? with the snowman. Yeah. Interesting stuff historically about Nick before we talk about the film is that this was presented with in 3D when it was premiered in 1989. So you had to wear 3D glasses while you watched it. Um, that's really the big thing to me. Oh, unless we want, do we want to talk about, uh, the, the important thing with Nick that I feel like the used to be censorship, you mean? Censorship, if you want to call it that, if you want to call it, uh, because I do think it is censorship, but I think it's... You think I'm being it, serious. Uh, what is it, though? Like, what is it called? Um, it's not It's not censorship. It's a... Uh, it's not retconning. I know what you mean. Um, it's something. It's uh, it's burying your dirty history. That's not the right word for it. But I, it's, that's not a word, but... Uh, this film was edited when they re-released it in... Um, Finding Nemo with Finding Nemo, and um, they re-rendered the film to desi- redesign the women in it because the women have 
were had very extremely com- communically large breasts in the original version of it. And of course, they're showing this in front of Finding Nemo. They don't really want that anymore. Uh, and Lassiter, I have this quote here from Defending the Changes from 2003, which is, this wasn't big bad Disney coming in and insisting we do this. It was our own choice. It was just crossing a line for me personally as a father. So I decided to reduce the breast size. Now, I'm glad you thought this was crossing a line, John Lasseter, in 2003. Only you thought about that later on. It's infocritical coming from Lasseter. If it was coming from someone else, you'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. I wouldn't read too much. Like, Pete Doctor saying, they'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm not reading too much into it. But, like, Lasseter, I'm like, well, now knowing everything about you, is this, like, whatever. I mean, I do think, I'll be honest. I've watched the original version, and I've watched now the new version for the first time in a while with uh on Disney Plus and I get the original one I remember I think I have it on Letterboxd like two stars and I liked it more this time and I think it's because to me I don't know like the last time I saw this was like I think early 2018 and so it was that news was just breaking so I'm watching this thing where it's like they have ludicrously large comedic breasts and the entire thing is about thirsting after them like it makes the film worse, like, you know, the experience worse. Because you're like, this is weird, and I don't really, like, feel comfortable watching this. Even mm-hmm. if it is cartoon thirsty. You know, get you get what I'm saying, right? Especially, like... But, okay, Knickknack, what'd you think of it? I really liked it. I don't know if I've ever seen the original one, um, but I just looked this up real quick, and I really liked it. I think that they've cracked a lot of things with this one, and it's... It's kind of interesting how it seems like more derivative in a lot of ways, but it just kind of works. It's like got nice pacing. I think from like the very first moment, as soon as you pan over to him in the snow globe, you immediately get what the conflict is. Yeah. Like after you see all of the, uh, you know, partying beach, beach uh, tchotchkes. I yeah. I loved it. I think it's I think it like start to finish I think it works it doesn't really have like bad moments there's one thing about this that I remember when it started very much this time I'm like this looks like such a downgrade from Tin Toy and this is after Tin Toy but then we get the moment where we see the snowflakes moving around I go oh okay this is the massive technological advance here probably like all those particles floating around you know and I go, wow, okay, this is pretty cool. Um, especially, I think this is, what, two years after Tin Toy? A year after Tin Toy? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think even in terms of, like, lighting effects, which is after. particle, it's sort of particles as particle physics as well. I think I'm, I think it looks better than Tin Toy immediately. I think Tin Toy has, like, weird, like, it looks very dark compared to this. I think, I, I didn't have that response, like, I was with it. I mean, I think the snowman looks fine, but I think the other creatures, the other knickknacks look just very, like, here's a geometric shape. Isn't that cool? And, like, I get that that's, like, what they were trying to do. They're trying to really meld CGI animation with the classic cartoon gag style. And I think they did a good job. It just takes a bit to uh get there. You know what I mean? Like, it takes a bit yeah, for me I to suppose. fully get into it. I do think the gags are good. I think this is a very funny short. Um, mm-hmm. I like... Does, what, sorry, go. You saying that makes me think about how we've kind of been talking about these shorts in terms of their camera work. 
and I think this is this goes back to the oh it's 3D but it's still like shot like a 2D picture like mm-hmm. it's there there's the moment when he's like falling that is a little it plays with the planes a little bit more but this is again like very um it's a very like two-dimensional short so it's it's interesting because I think Tintoy was much more three-dimensional and it played with space more. So it's neat to see them kind of like swerving back and forth between like how do we reconcile, you know, not making terrifying 3D objects, but still like we can explore a 3D space, you know? Yeah. No, I get that. To me, one thing that stands out to me, and it's because also we watch this on Disney Plus, is that it actually has. Remember how I said Luxo Jr. and had that intro that's not included on the uh, that was on the DVD or VHS that wasn't on the Disney Plus version. This one does have that, and I go, "Ah, oh, there it is, mm-hmm. the little thing they played before the movie." And then it, of course, has the new Pixar logo on it. But my memory with this short, because we always talk about our memories. Ooh. Is uh, I saw Finding Nemo three times in theaters in its original run. This was when I was eight. And the last time I went, we saw it at the drive-in with The Wizard of Oz and Finding Nemo was the second movie. And the reason I remember this short very specifically, this was the first time I was at the drive-in, is, you know, we got our popcorn intermission because obviously The Wizard of Oz is first. And then we head back to the car. And then my dad goes... No, my dad, I'm like, dad, turn on the car. We can't hear the movie because we used the radio in the car. And my dad goes, you don't need the audio for this. It's just a short. I remember that very distinctly because I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I don't need it because it's just nice music. But I also am like, dad, why, now looking back, I'm like, do you really think those three minutes are going to save you that much battery? <laughs> that much car battery? <laughs> that, was, really, that, was, that made the difference. Your dad was really... <laughs> Your dad was really with the times saying that, like, everything is primarily visual, you know. Only the images should tell the story. It's like your dad's been to film school. I mean, that is the short. You do only really need the imagery. It's all fun. There's no wacky sound effects over there. The wah, 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 wah at the end. There are, the there are score. sound effects. That's, like, you, you should read about the dude who did the music for this short. He's, like, incredible. Um, can't remember his name. Bobby like McFerrin, I have it open. Yes, I mean, you just, like, dive into his discography and just what he does. He's amazing. What? He sang Don't Worry, Be Happy. I didn't realize that was his song. Yes. But and this was, like, I guess it's all his acapella, like, doing everything in for the music here. He did the score for free, because he thought it'd be cool yeah. to be involved with this movie. And he has something that I need to listen to where it's like a jazz album, but it's like all his voice and nothing else. It's something I need to listen to. This short, we come back to the recurring Pixar trope that always happens, but especially with these shorts and of course building up the Toy Story, which is that what do these inanimate objects do when we're not in the room? In this case, it's a guy who collects a lot of annoying knickknacks. But like, yeah. Uh... What I yeah, think I really, is a, sorry. Well, I, I think that's it's just what you say is like characterization. Well, it's more like world building through the knickknacks. 
you know i don't even it's we we learn about the world because of what is in it and i think that's very clever what something else you spoke so oh, go on. no you talk no you talk my thing's not as interesting probably I'd guarantee you it will be more interesting than what I have to say, because what I have to say is what I remember now that was like a buried memory is when all of the beach ornaments are looking over the side of the bookcase at the snowman who's just fallen and everyone is frowning except for the one palm tree who's still just vibing in the background. <laughs> I definitely remember having a thought about that as a kid because I just had it again watching it now and it was like deja vu. So that was fun to rediscover that buried like somewhere inside torch. of me. The blowtorch is probably my favorite gag. The blowtorch is just in the snow globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like... Uh, what I was going to say is the interesting thing about this is that after Tin Toy... Mr. Lasseter was offered a job at at Disney, and Lasseter turned it down because the quote on Wikipedia is, I can go to Disney and be a director, or I could stay here and make history at Pixar. And to be honest, let's be real, he's right. Like, if he just went off to direct a 2D animated movie at Disney in the 80s, who would have, like, who would have cared? <laughs> like, other than, like... Oh, yeah, it's a good cartoon. Like, you know, maybe he directs, like, Aladdin or, like, a movie like Aladdin, you know? But it wouldn't be, like, Toy Story, which, like, yeah. totally reinvigorates what animated movies are. Like, not being a musical, yeah. being, of course, CGI. Um, but I think it's interesting that Disney immediately was like, no, we want this guy back. Because remember, they fired him after he pitched Tin Toy. And uh, not Tin Toy, Brave Little Toaster. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, again, this is... This is a lot like Tin Toy to me, where I don't really know what there is to talk about here, because it's just a really solid, fun short. Actually, honestly, when I watched this, you know what I thought? I had forgotten this was still Lasseter's film. I thought it was, because it was in front of Finding Nemo, I thought it was like, we're showing you Andrew Stanton's first short at the studio. Because it, mm. it has a lot in common with Somewhere in the Arctic, I feel yeah. like. More than that than any other film short film we've watched so far here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it it matches with a lot of the things that are in the dentist's office in Finding Nemo. That's always how I thought about it. I always thought this was like something going on in another part of that world when I was a kid and making these, you know, kind of random connections. The world of Tintoy or the, sorry, the world of No, Finding... no, no, the world of the world of Finding Nemo. Oh, like, got you, got you. When yeah, they go yeah, to the yeah. dentist's office and there's all that stuff around and then it's... Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Is there, like... a, is there a Easter egg? I don't know. I feel like that'd be a good place to put an Easter I think I feel like the snowman from Knickknack should be like a recurring Easter egg. He may, would make sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, he is. Well, I think he is in Toy Story. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's in one of them. Um, yeah. What I was going to say also is I'm looking at the accolades on Wikipedia and worse, Terry Gilliam in 2001 said it was one of the 10 best animated films ever made. But what I think is the more the quote that is, uh, do you want to know a good way to get an ego? Is getting a review that says this. John Laster is probably the closest thing to God that has ever graced the electronic images community. Oh, Lamar, I did see that. It's a lot. That's a yeah. lot to take. This is Pixar's, as far as I'm aware, I believe it's their last short for a long while. Like, pure short film. Because they started doing commercials while they were building up the Toy Story. Looking at Laster's career, this is his last short for 
17 years until he makes the Mater short that's on the Carter's DVD. Until <laughs> he directs <laughs> that. Wow. Um, yeah. So he's just done with shorts after this. Mm. Also, this was released in theaters with a Nightmare Before Christmas in 3D. This, now that this I saw was that. with that too? Yeah, because we remember it was originally made in 3D. And so when they were in 2006, when Disney was like, let's try to bring back 3D with Nightmare Before Christmas and Chicken Little. They're like, let's put this in front of it. Very unfortunate that we'll probably never talk about Spy Kids 3 on this podcast. But that would be fun Sorry. to revisit. Yeah. I can't, Rodriguez I can't believe you proposed film. the theme for this and it didn't include watching Spy Kids 3. Alright, oh. so we talked about Knickknack for about 15 minutes. <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs> this this, so this podcast is more like Danny and Mark talk about like various movie things. Again, when we get to features, I think also... we'll be fine when we get the features. It's just before then, it's like... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so what's your final segment idea? Oh, I just wanted to give it an arbitrary ranking. It doesn't have to be like a real ranking. It can just be like, I give this one five out of five snowmen because I would probably watch it again, unlike Tin Toy, which only got two out of five snowmen. It's good to three out of five snowmen. Sorry. It also doesn't have to be snowmen. You can can evaluate it on your own terms. Rocks. Rocks. Yeah, that's a good one. What I like to do is during this, uh, so there's. There's a website I use sometimes to figure out what movies I like, and it's really fun. They have this thing that's listed called matchups, because it's like you rank a movie against each other to figure out where it ranks overall in all the movies you've ever watched. And let's look at the most recent ones Nick Knack has gone against that make the least sense. The recent ones I see are Nick Knack versus Tron Legacy, Nick Knack versus The Lord of the Rings Return of the King, Nick Knack versus The Man <laughs> with the Golden Gun. And Nick Knack versus Holiday. And do you want to read any of these comments? Do you want what are you wondering about what any of these comments are, say? I don't know if I understand each one of these the matchups. premise. What? I don't know if I understand the premise yet. So it's just this, their So for Nick Knack versus other? Tron Legacy, the top comment is the matchup that I've always been waiting for. I'm curious what the Lord of the Rings one is. Yeah, do the Lord of the Rings one. It says six minutes against two hundred and one minutes, LOL. And then someone replied to him a day later that just says, Return! Which I presume is picking Return the King. So what's our next, what's our, what's our next thing? We're so close to Toy Story, but it's not that yet. We're almost there. But we gotta dig a little deeper, find out who we are. Boom, boom. Alright, we're gonna do something I said, I think in our first episode I said we weren't gonna do. But I found them, so we are gonna do them. Which is that we are now in the era where Pixar keeps making these films that are bad. And by bad, I mean commercials. However, they also had a deal with Sesame Street to make, a, like, I think four shorts uh, about Lexo Jr. visiting Sesame Street and learning stuff. So we're going to watch a bit of Sesame Street next week. And this will be our last one until... The big one. The big do, one. Do, do, do you know what I'm referencing with the big one? Toy Story? Yeah, the rocket. I just saw the rocket. Rockets explode! Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar podcast is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. I do the editing, and our artwork is done by Sarah Knopf. Yeah, and you can find us 
at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey. You can find us on Twitter at Pixar Journey and on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod. You can also email us at Looking for the Ocean Pixar at gmail.com. If you want to know what I'm up to, everything is available on my website, markyoungperformer.com. You can listen to my other two podcasts, Wise with Ty and Dan and The Snub Club, wherever you can find your podcasts. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Blankments for all my takes on all of the movies. We'll see you next time. See you next time.